From Fresh Air Studios in Plymouth, this is In Conversation With, the podcast from Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce. Presented by Stuart Elford. With special guests, Melanie Squires, local NFU director. We need our retailers to back British farming. That's why we want our public procurement policies to invest in local British food. They don't. And Jabo Butera of Diversity Business Incubator. There was genocide. People killing each other for economical gain. You have more than I do, and then I have to kill you so I can keep what you've got. Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce with another one of our In Conversation With series of podcasts. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Mel Squires from the NFU. Hello, Mel. Hi. And is Mel okay? Because in your bio it says Melanie, but I've only ever known you as Mel. Mel is absolutely fine. And we were just saying when we met outside, I'm not sure we've actually met in person, but we have seen each other on countless meetings. So if I put a square around you, like yeah. a Zoom square, yeah. then you look very familiar. That's but, the um, funny bit about these times, isn't it? We all started to actually physically see people that we've been involved with and working with for a number of years now. And you're taller than I imagined, because you're only two inches tall, (laughs) a little square on the screen. What's your job title with the NFU? I'm director for the NFU in the southwest, and we cover the six counties, the old regional boundary. We've stuck to those, so I'm really lucky. It's the biggest region agriculturally in England and Wales for the NFU, and we work alongside our farmers for our farmers, which is a really special thing to do if you're into farming, which I am. And what took you into farming? My family are dairy farming in southeast Cornwall, and that's where I was brought up. I've lived in Devon longer now before people start the boundary conflict that oh, goes with I, Devon and Cornwall, my next as you question. know. So steeped in history of agriculture, actually, with my family across Devon and Cornwall and studied at Sealhame when it was there in agriculture and fell into the NFU really just at the time in the middle of foot and mouth, actually. I've just been very lucky. I've been there a long time now. Wow. Foot and mouth. Well, I remember that happening at the time. I was a press officer for the police service and I can remember Mm. we obviously were quite involved with that then. So when was that? 2001 and into two. Funny enough, you mentioned you're from a Cornish family, but you've lived in Devon for 20 odd years. Very wise, if I have to say as Devon Chamber of Commerce. Well, indeed. And I wouldn't want to give away entirely my age, but I have lived longer in Devon now. And my mum's side of the family hail from Devon, from farming stock. So I am of mixed origin. Really? Very diverse. And are there any family arguments about... I'm sorry, I said at the start I wouldn't ask you anything <laughs> controversial, but here we go. I know. Is it jam first or cream first? My mum, who's Devonian, brought us up very well in her eyes. Oh, OK. So you're not going to answer that, are you? But you've just managed to sidestep the most controversial in the world. Do you know, I have gone to events. I was on a boat going up the Tamar that had people from both Devon and Cornwall, and they served a cream tea on the boat. And I thought, this could be career-ending if I get this wrong. So I chopped my scone in half and I did one of each so there was a jam first and a cream yep. first I thought that's the only way to as go diplomatic as you can do I've got a bio for you and it says that you're a liveryman what on earth is a liveryman and why are you one it's the liveryman of the worshipful company of farmers there's a number of worshipful companies for different industry sectors for plumbers and butchers and all sorts of things and it's a London-based very historic centuries-old charity actually and I was lucky enough to be put through an industry leadership course actually just before I became director for the NFU and as a consequence of that you become a liveryman and it's just part of a network I suppose of peer-to-peer folk who are working on behalf of the industry across the country. Just to leap straight through it, you've got an MBE. (laughs) You were awarded an MBE for your services to the rural community and animal welfare. Mm. Was that a shock and a surprise? Hopefully a pleasant one if it was. Oh gosh, yeah, absolutely because firstly I was just doing my job and leading a great team, but it was through the Gloucestershire floods. I actually spent my night in the car trying to get back from HQ in the floods so I saw it firsthand and it was all about the fact that if people recall at the time, back in 2007, the water network was polluted by the floods and therefore there was a humanitarian effort but alongside that there was an animal effort so we facilitated the ferrying of clean water to all of our livestock across Gloucestershire over a period of three or four weeks I think it was and sort of underwrote that effort and pulled it all together which was just doing our job but particularly if people don't know for pigs and poultry you cannot have contaminated water you know they will become very ill very quickly so we saved a lot of animals and we safeguarded a lot of farming businesses but it was a massive team effort of farmers on the ground and moving into their practical mode of operandi as they always do and Mm. I was just facilitating that through government really so I was very lucky. You obviously facilitated it well enough that someone thought you went above and beyond which I'm sure you But like I say it's what we're paid to do. I know you're a director of the Heart the Southwest LEP, Local Enterprise Partnership and you're appointed a rural champion and you're chairing the place theme. Mm. 
group. What are the challenges of our place, especially for the farming community? Yeah, I mean, if I broaden it out even to the rural community, and Stuart, you've heard me say it enough times on various calls, I think there's challenge and opportunity with place, isn't there? And particularly for our farming and rural communities, there's the challenge of infrastructure and services, quite often rural, if we call it that, and including a lot of bedrock to that is our farming businesses. You know, they can be further away from services and infrastructure. Mm. Digital comes to mind, of course, and connectivity. They're further from market. The roads aren't always as accessible for our young people, our elderly people. Access to jobs, the ability to move around is challenging too. And from a farming perspective, of course, that place is the wonderful landscape that we all hold so dear and became even more important during COVID. But of course, it's a place that they have to do their business. They need Mm. to produce our food, but increasingly do that in a sustainable way that protects and enhances our environment. And particularly for us, that's our soils. You know, we only have one skin to this earth and we need to look after it. And our farmers want to do that. They're in it for the long haul. They invest generationally, usually. Mm. But of course, we all know the market dynamics, the return from the market, the changes that we're seeing politically and through policy, whatever your politics, EU exit and trade deals are going to create hopefully opportunity they should but also challenges but also the challenges Mm. and our job is to help whether it's as an NFU whether it's through the LEP or other great organizations in terms of representing business and community you know we've got to try and get that as right as we can but I've got to say farming is one of those really really tough jobs that surely you either are drawn to it you love it or why would someone go into it for me I think getting up at the crack of dawn and working incredibly hard until Mm. dusk it does not appeal day in day out so why do people go into is it still a career that people should go into oh absolutely i mean look we all need to be sustained with food don't Mm. we so there's always going to be the requirement for farmers and land management increasingly land management when you think about net zero and climate change and all the rest of it why do farmers do it i think for many they're locked into it because the industry's never been so highly geared Mm. so highly borrowed those investments are made for very long term when you think about 50 percent of our farmers are tenants it's not all land owner occupied and if it is it's all about handing to the next generation Mm. increasingly though i think the next generation aren't prepared to do all the slog and when i look at my family members and friends and obviously our membership the return from the marketplace remains challenging Mm. and of course the access to labor which you'll know enough about every business is going through it so trying to find enough people to do the job alongside enough income to pay people so that they don't have to work quite such long hours i think that's my ongoing worry about my our farming community is that they are smes predominantly Mm. they work in isolation our health and safety record is not as good as we want it to be or any farmer wants it to be and all of that combines with the challenges that we still see that yeah it's not an easy industry but those that are in it and I used to do all of that practically and I still go back home and milk cows and calf cows and stuff now there is something about being out on the land working with animals particularly and being in that community that's hard to explain it's a vocation not Mm. just a job but I think increasingly as we see this sea of change massive change coming for those businesses who are either having to really look at reinvestment or can't find the staff Mm. can't find the labour I think that is where they're going to be forced to make decisions decisions and we will continue to see structural change but notwithstanding that you know we see our tenanted farms there's lots of young couples trying to go for the next round of tenancies there's still great demand in land purchase and agricultural universities and colleges and those industries affiliated with the sector land management even geography environmental degrees all the rest of it there's a lot of people who want to get involved and we need them in terms of our industry or vets Mm. so i think the opportunity is still great and when i talk to young people who want to do it it's still really exciting and people do want to but We've got to make it a bit easier for them in a number of ways. And support them because you're yeah. an industry that's seen, sadly, I mean, quite high rates of depression and mm. suicide. In yeah, the farming yeah. Community, Mental which health is a challenge. Yeah. Awful for you. Yeah. And, it, and particularly the isolation that's come around COVID. So even more isolated. Yeah, that was an interesting situation. In one sense, COVID day to day on the farm, you still had to get up and milk cows, you still had to get in the tractor, but it did curtail probably what's less social life for some folk than perhaps Mm. others in other industries or Mm. or other communities would be used to. So it did curtail that engagement and the ability, even for those that are religious, to go to church or whatever it might have been. There are the times when they spend a lot of time potentially on their own and therefore those moments of being able to see people was tough. And I think 
think that combined with the change that's coming and has come through EU exit and particularly for those diversified farming businesses because of cash flow they've gone into tourism or whatever it might be of course that was impacted too yeah. and in terms of the labour force that could either be acquired or not of course that put the pressure on That's a quadruple whammy so they've got yeah. Brexit Covid skills crisis mm. and diverse businesses also being attacked Yeah, yeah. I mean you know under pressure. for every farm business it's different isn't it like any business so the challenge is for some it was the opportunity to turn their businesses into something even more exciting and we've seen some great examples of that so I think that is the wonderful thing about farming and farmers they adapt their continual innovators in a very practical sense but they're also very quick to take on new techniques and technologies and that's probably underplayed and unseen I suspect by many but in day-to-day businesses they're very resilient and of course that's the family farm network is very strong in that sense to underpin that so I think that's a good thing too but we all know don't we in our lives and our businesses the last few years have been fundamentally life-changing in some respects. Oh absolutely someone said that Covid pandemic is the digital transformation officer you didn't know you wanted or needed and and we've we've all had to adapt and I'm hearing more and more in meetings people talking about agritech mm. about the technology coming through the agriculture world but i've got to be honest i don't know what that means what does it mean what have we got in terms of agritech yeah it's a catch-all descriptor that yeah. one so it's really about our science and research and about our new technologies or indeed techniques and i think this is the difference so it can be as simple as having the latest bit of weighing crate that might weigh your lambs every day or your cattle so you're more efficient in your productivity to make sure that when that animal is ready to go to market even if you reduce it by a few days you're not feeding it's about monitoring daily live weight gain or understanding your data better and being able to measure and monitor better or it can be more technical in terms of robotics. Mm. It won't solve every ill and it comes with a cost, but the world of robotics for our agricultural and food producing supply chain actually is phenomenal. And that's just going from strength to strength. And that has to be part of the solution to our labour challenge if we can ensure the marketplace responds accordingly to allow you to make that sort of investment. Yeah, and of course harder for the smaller the business, the harder to invest in that sort of technology. It is a bit, but I think collaboration is a real key. You know, farmers when they have common cause are incredible at working together and pulling together. And I think that's a real opportunity. That's something at the NFU we're continuing to do more work on and even to the point of managing future environmental schemes. We talk about super clusters, clusters of farmers coming together looking at landscape scale enhancement alongside their farming businesses and we've got some great examples of that across the region Mm. still to come chapo butera of diversity business incubator it's not what you do or what you give to a person which makes them remembering you it's how you make them feel follow the devon and plymouth chamber of commerce on twitter at chamber underscore devon and search for us on linkedin make sure you don't miss out on future episodes hit subscribe now and we've been talking a couple of times, we've used the word sustainability and we've talked about environment. Yeah. The farming industry's taken a bit of a, I don't know, it's a slating, but people talking about how it's responsible for a lot of emissions yeah. and there's obviously a non-organic pesticides being used on mm-hmm. the land mm-hmm. and things like this. Where do you stand on this? How do you resolve that yeah. dilemma that it's potentially adding to the mm-hmm. carbon emissions or yeah. the ill health of the planet? I think clearly, like any industry, we have our challenges and opportunities so in terms of when we talk about carbon when we talk about our emissions the agricultural sector is between eight and ten percent part of the problem in terms of emissions in fact in methane we have a seven to ten year cycle and that is reabsorbed and it's not a problem anymore okay so there's a science behind agriculture and of course the great bit about agriculture which no other industry can do is that the life cycle of our vegetation our animals our natural byproducts Mm. that are incredibly great fertilizer that increases the fertility and the biodiversity of our soils our hedges our trees all of that becomes a great carbon sink and turns Mm. those emissions into great food and fibers that we need and require as a society so it's a cycle of the ability to sink and store even more carbon Mm. in the future so there's a problem but we're not the whole problem in fact livestock emissions account for six percent and we look at those feedlots across the way in america you know our beef production systems in this country are two and a half times better than that so we've got a great story to tell we've got to tell it better Mm. and frankly farming and the food supply chain should not be the full guy 
for everyone's ills, but we have an opportunity to do even better there. And as I say, particularly in this part of the world, particularly in the West Country, 70% of our land can only grow grass. And the last time I looked, you and I, Stuart, can't eat grass, but our livestock can. And they're doing all of that great work with our soils and our grassland to turn that into something that's really high quality protein. Mm. We probably all ought to be eating, I suppose, a bit less protein in the Western world. That's Mm. well documented, but eating the right sort of meat from the highest standards in the world, Mm. British local produce, shortening our supply chains has to be the way to go to manage our emissions and our impact. I definitely agree with you on the shortening supply chains. Mm. It always struck me for many years that when I go to a supermarket, I can buy meat from all over the world. And I think, why on earth in Devon are we doing that? I mean, it's madness, isn't it? Why do I need meat from anywhere other than Devon? But I think that's the point, isn't it? And it's not for me to cast judgment on parts of our supply chain, but clearly our retailers, our processors, our manufacturers have to produce to every price point. So do farmers. You talk about the inputs that we put into our supply chains or not. We continue to, through agritech, utilise our natural waste products from our livestock better, manage our soils better so we don't have to put as much inorganic nitrogen into our soils. And that comes at a cost. So no farmer wants to put pesticides in organic fertilisers are really expensive. Mm. They're going up, in fact, all the time. So it's in the interest of farmers to embrace new techniques, new technology, learn from each other to produce our food in a better way. But against that background, we have a food system that is based on cheap food. Our cap program underpinned some of that if we're quite frank Mm. but that cat program has kept most of our family farms afloat Mm. so it is a real conflict and contrast and yet for farmers you know we have to demonstrate as we still do that we're leading the world in terms of animal welfare we're leading the world in terms of our environmental credentials absolutely can always do better Mm. and we're determined to but that's why we need our retailers to back british farming that's why we want our public procurement policies to invest in local British food. They don't. Mm. And we're just exporting our environmental challenges, actually. So that's really strong from us. But absolutely, our farmers need to do our bit too, and not just say we're only X percent of the problem, because actually we want to be even less than that in the future. We've committed Mm. to net zero by 2040 as an industry. We were one of the first sectors to come out and say that a couple of years ago. And that's why agritech and getting our consumers to really appreciate what our farmers do and buy our local Devon meat and milk Mm. is absolutely where we want to be. Well, being honest, it is a dilemma because I want to support local business. Of course I do. I'm just with the chamber. I believe in that. I was in a supermarket recently and there were two chickens and one of them was £4.50 but the organic local one was three times the price and that is difficult you know everyone's got a point at which uh, they say I can't justify that difference so I guess the agri-tech is hopefully going to make this more efficient bring the prices down yeah and farmers learn from each other and that's the best way to do it every price point is there for a reason isn't it our Mm. society not everyone has the affordability that perhaps everyone is able to do and we have food poverty that's at some of the highest levels in this country we've known for a long time I also think we still have a massive job to do to teach people to cook from scratch because actually it's surprising how many meals you can get out of a chicken. And it's trying to help people see that rather than just respond to the price yeah. at the point of sale, if you like. So that's something we've all got to work harder on. I was talking to friends about this yesterday, that very thing, that that skill is going, isn't it? People can order food that arrives in a packet mm. or delivered yeah. within minutes of you ordering it, and there it is. And I do worry that that skill mm. is disappearing but i suppose farmers more than anyone have a desire to make things sustainable of course they do and they see it it couldn't be more obvious can it absolutely they're proud of what they do Mm. and rightly so and Mm. we saw that didn't we during covid you know actually our local farm shop and outlets were supported even greater by the local community when they were looking for alternatives because it wasn't as easy to shop Mm. as well as the great countryside that farmers manage Mm. and that has to set us all in good stead and hopefully we can continue to champion a great story which it is for farming and looking at your bio you're doing a lot of work for farmers and the rural economy in so many different ways how do you fit it all in is it because of your dairy herding background that you're up at the crack (laughs) of dawn and working well there can be a bit of that yeah you used to it no it's not just me i've got a great team we're very lucky the nfu is about 120 years old Mm. farmers have invested in it well the point of being united as an industry it's a very broad church in farming now and we'll become even more diverse and that's a great thing actually Mm. but we are invested well by our farmers in a way which means 
means that I have a great team of people across the organisation in this region. Everything is about team, whether it's you know our farmers working together, indeed everyone in the mm. NFU working together. It's a great pleasure to work alongside farmers in an elected way and do the best we can for them. And I would say everyone that's at the NFU does it because we believe in what we're doing and we want to help our farmers. You're elected? No, no, the NFU is like a local authority in the sense we have a governing body, which is the council of the NFU. Oh, we're okay. represented by office holders, mm. farming representatives yeah. who are elected at branch, at county level, mm. regional level and on and upwards really. So mm. we stand shoulder to shoulder with the industry as permanent officers, which is quite unique, but it works. And you touched on next generation. I understand you have an education team. What are they doing? Yeah, this is all part of the sort of positive message of, well, not just message of farming, but helping to support curriculum-based learning, particularly in STEM, making sure that through science, technology, engineering and maths maths thank you um, some call it steam now, yeah do, do they in there oh well. okay well we can use the creativity piece as well absolutely mm. we train teachers we provide a whole bunch of free downloadable resources and project plans for class lessons that connects the curriculum and those stem objectives to our environment our countryside our food chain that we host competitions where children can get involved in actually creating the next amazing poultry shed or tractor that's automated and it really does bring creativity actually Mm. to the classroom in a way that's important so that our investment on behalf of farming I suppose is to help people understand where their food comes from which is really important as Mm. a human staple Mm. as well as helping people to understand how our food systems work and supporting teachers in in a really key area that can really help bring to life we all know don't we particularly in young people and primary school especially the farm and animals really does stay in the minds of young people for a long time and we try to bring that to life for them including farm visits of which a lot of our farms engage in open farm sunday with leaf Mm. and others just lots of school visits which is the exciting positive part of the job really because we want them to value where their food comes from for all the things we've just said and how our land is managed and how our landscapes are going to look for the future because that's going to be key to their lives as well isn't it in so many ways you know whether it's their well-being or indeed their health or just their ability to live where they want to live and are you seeing because of that a more diverse range of people coming into farming because if I imagine, yeah. it's probably my stereotypes that farming is generational and it's only farmers who become farmers and stay in it. But are you seeing a diverse range of people coming into farming? Yeah, I think increasingly we are, which is the really exciting bit. Nothing wrong with tradition and all the rest of it. But my parents were equal partners in the business from the day they started. And there's a lot of family businesses that are like that. You know, my brother was made a partner at a very young age. But equally, seeing both young people come in, I think I said to you before we started, that 50% of our farmers are tenanted you know they don't own the land they rent the land from others and that's a great way for farmers or aspiring farmers to get into the industry not always easy because there's still a huge capital investment required so we see lots of young couples wanting to still come into the sector and they're doing so but also new entrants who have worked in other industries but have got excited by the farming offer or indeed a food related business and we're seeing some great new thinking and innovation coming in from that part of the system as well and from folk who engage in farming so it just becomes as a consequence more diverse but also really exciting and I think that's exciting for the consumers they get the benefit of that as well not just our farming communities. We've heard a lot about farming and agriculture Mm. we've heard very little about Mel so we know nothing about you Mel who are you tell us a bit about you. Oh gosh I'm married I've got one daughter who's nine if I'm not doing NFU work I still spend quite a bit of time back at the family farm in Cornwall. I adore the great outdoors. I'm a really keen walker so if it's not a coast path it's usually Dartmoor Mm -hmm. which my daughter really enjoys too. I'm a very active person so I like to get out and about and that's great for my downtime too so I will walk miles and miles and other than that I love sport, I love the arts and but the job keeps me pretty busy. Yes I should imagine so looking at your bio I'm surprised you get time to do anything. (laughs) I know I do well that's a great team I've got a great team. Well you're very modest about that because you mentioned that a few times but I think they're very well led as a team. So your nine-year-old daughter, if she said she wanted to go into farming, would you be happy? Absolutely. I believe people should pursue what they want to do and what they enjoy. And I see how she enjoys understanding the processes that come in agriculture and understanding mm. how things work, both from a mechanisation perspective and indeed the cycle of life, mm. which, you know, for so many children, they don't get to see. No. And I'm lucky to be a trustee of the Farms for City Children as well and seeing children who don't have the ability to get out, who are constrained in their lives, to see them have 
a few days on a farm is just phenomenal to just understand just being outside in the countryside. We're so lucky. I know we're in the centre of Plymouth today, but we're not that far from the countryside, are we? But for a lot of children in this country, they are and don't get the ability to appreciate where our food comes from. It's wonderful to see the journey they go on that's life-changing for them, really. Yeah, what a fantastic thing. Yeah. And is that what you want your legacy to be? Will you ever consider your job is done? You're only young. You've been doing it for years and years yet. But, I mean, do you have a sort of end point? Is there something you're aiming for? You'd say, yeah, I will have felt like uh, we've sorted it if I get to this point. It isn't just me, but I think as an NFU, you know, really to try and ensure particularly that our family farms are safeguarded for the next few decades are free trade deals, whatever you think about economics mm. and liberalisation of trade. We aren't getting enough investment in ensuring that our goods and services are valued as much as they should be and competitive enough and invested in enough to mm. stand up. When I've talked about those high standards that we lead on, that shouldn't be eroded and that will have an impact on our landscapes and our communities if we don't protect that. So for me, it's about making sure that the framework that our farmers operate in the future is valued in all mm. senses, not just monetary, but in all senses by our consumers and that our procurers are more loyal to that actually and understand the true value of that you know we haven't talked about net zero particularly much or climate change but actually the role of our farmers in the future is going to be even more important than what they deliver for society and that needs to be valued Mm. and I don't want them worrying and having sleepless nights and getting tired and maybe having mental health challenges I don't want them worrying about if the marketplace is going to pay them enough for something that they have to plan for three four five years ahead and invest in Mm. and pay back in borrowings before they can be paid what is right in terms of a market value, fairness in the system, recognition and equipping them to respond to the future challenges, particularly, as I said, on climate change and trade. If I think we've done all of that in the next 20 years, I'll be happy. Good. It needs to happen well, well, quicker well, than that, of course. Well, of course, aren't we, aren't we all? Let's get on with it. Well, to wrap up then, we've got about 16,000 listeners to our podcast. What would your message to them be? What can they do to do their bit? Please go out and buy British, buy local food, support your farmers. Simple as that. We certainly will. And the Chamber is here to support you. We've done Thank some great you. work together through various boards yep. and committees that we sit on. And it's nice to finally meet you in person. It is, absolutely. Very grateful for you taking the time to come in and talk to us. And no doubt we'll speak again. Yeah, thank uh, you. Mel Squires, thank you very much. And now, Chambermaid, introducing business owners from across the southwest. Hello there and welcome back to In Conversation with the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce podcast and this is part two, Chamber Made, where we speak to Chamber members about their businesses, about them and everything that's important to them. And I'm delighted to say that today I am joined by Jabu Butera from Diversity Business Incubator. Hello, Jabu. Good morning, good afternoon. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. Well, we don't know when people are listening to this. They could probably listen in the middle of the night. They might be using it to send themselves off to sleep. We don't know. Perhaps we should do our best sort of low voices, you know, that high. It's morning here, so you need to wake up people. Right. Okay. Well, morning. Good morning. I first met you at a city college place, didn't I? Yes. A few weeks back where we were at an opening of a premises. And I got talking to you about diversity because it's something important mm-hmm. for the chamber and something yeah. I'm trying to do. And you've come up with some great ideas, which we'll talk about later. But how did you start helping people from the BAME community? Thank you very much for having me here. Oh, yeah. And it's a great pleasure to be in conversation with you because it's in conversation with the whole chamber members, as well as everyone who's going to be listening to us. And that's the first step of everything diverse. Mm. It's all start with a conversation because as a human being, we are diverse so many ways. And curiosity is one of the attraction or that quality individuals have we tend mm. to put away so when you're curious to know the other person seeing what they have and saying oh that's different from what I do have mm. how does it work what is he like to be mm. and that's the conversation so yes as you mentioned so I'm the managing director of Diversity Business Incubator and one of the co-founder of it mm. we started this organization Diversity Business Incubator as a community interest company we're going on our fourth year now the whole purpose is that economical balance we're looking in the society in Plymouth mm-hmm. to start with moving across the southwest in the future. It's to do with the economical balance. Mm-hmm. Opportunity for everyone to be their own boss where you'll be able to generate too much money at the end of the month instead of too much month at the end of the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had many years of having too much month at the end of the money. It's interesting you should say about Plymouth because at the moment there's a very trendy expression about levelling up. Yes. And yet levelling up isn't, I don't think, necessarily a norm 
north-south thing or an east-west thing, although mm-hmm. I would argue that in the southwest we have been left behind. Mm-hmm. But in Plymouth alone, from one end of the city to the other, just three miles apart, you've yes. got a nine-year life expectancy difference because right. of the postcode, where you're brought up. Yes. And is that something you care passionate about? Is that why you want to help? You want to give everyone the same chance? That's right. It's that statistic you just mentioned. It's not a lot of people are aware of it. Mm. It's particularly those who are living in that lower expectancy of life. Mm. It goes with what you're eating to start with. Mm. So for you, you're feeding from the bottom of the shelf when you do your shopping. Mm. How can we change that so your income turns, you can start picking from the top? of the shelves. Mm. This is a trend of life. When different people you see, you walk in the same supermarket, what you have as a produce you are consuming, it's Mm. determined by your pocket. And the journey or the excitement of what we're trying to do is to be able to say that pocket becoming stronger so you decide better. So tomorrow that life expectancy starts shrinking where we become level up. Equity. (laughs) Because you have choice. Because money brings you choice. I always think it's ironic that if you can afford to buy more of something, you get a discount because you buy more. So you buy the large pack of toilet rolls is cheaper than if you just buy one or two at a time. But if you're poor, you can only afford one or two at a time. And that is so unfair. And I think we've definitely got to do something about that. Well, I come originally from Rwanda in Africa. Mm. That's where I was born and grew up. And now I'm settled here in England. We use a lot of proverbs. Mm -hmm. In the proverbs, they say the water, if you spill water on the ground, it's going to be running towards the river the water goes to the river, while it's the dry land which needs the water. So that unfair situation, you cannot change it much. You have to be designing it. We need to design it. As you just said, we need to do something about it. It's the design. So the more you have, the cheaper it gets. If you can buy a bulk, it's costless compared to the single. But the person who can only afford single can only pay on that high price. So that the dry land and the drop of water, it goes to the sea instead of coming to them. So how do we design a world where when that drop of water, that economy drop in, it becomes circular by facing to the woods where there's the dryness. And it's great. I'm having a conversation with you as a chamber of commerce. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, we want to help. I mean, it's, it's good for all of us. I mean, especially at the moment, you know, whatever your views on diversity and inclusion, there is a labor shortage at the moment. There's a lack of people. There's a lack of skill. You know, businesses need it. So we're going to have to be more diverse. We're going to have to open our doors to people that we wouldn't otherwise have thought about so that we can fill those jobs, which is good, I think. It's an opportunity. Yes. I think it's a great opportunity. It is. It is a great opportunity because the world has been exposed to that common challenge. Mm. I think the common denominator of all of us is time. And COVID coming in has been one of the reasons where all of us, suddenly we realize we all have the same hours in life, 24 hours. We have the same passion. You love those next to you. You want to be close to those with you. So that individualistic thinking disappears because before that, I was more on that trend of individualistic trained fast pace i need to get up at five in the morning or 4 30 to go to the gym to look after my health and then five i'm hitting this place and nine and i have to have this breakfast which i have to be with this person for economical and then you're on that pace mm. fast which is i me myself all the time mm. and then suddenly covid come and say stop yeah and then you start looking around who's with me mm. it's a great <laughs> leveler yeah so they say that also that covid is the digital transformation officer that none of us knew we wanted or needed but it's no. made us adopt you know digital process which is great. And you mentioned Rwanda. So tell us a bit about your journey. How did you get from Rwanda to Plymouth? How long have you got? <laughs> yeah, all day. You go for it. Maybe for those who haven't got more knowledge about where it is, we are in Central East Africa. And about 27 years now, we had a rough period where there was, again, due to that individualistic approach, there was genocide, mm. in other term, people killing each other for economical gain. Mm. You have more than I do, and then I have to kill you so I can keep what you've got, mm. I can take away from that, and it become tribal and all that. It's a long history. For someone who want to know more, they can always Google about Rwanda. So that's where I grew up. In that during period, we had that challenge of uh, instability. I had to move to find where it's more safer to live without the fear of losing your life just because you are from this other tribe. When it becomes tribal, it's just not safe. So that was the journey. And through many countries, travel around and ended up in England, mm-hmm. lived up London first, and then I went to Yorkshire mm-hmm. and lived in Yorkshire. And sometimes after today, I speak and people are like, well, I can hear a little bit of Yorkshire accent in you. <laughs> you got a bit of northern in you. Yeah, yeah I got a bit northern. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you work with the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce? I did, yes. Within the north, they have more individuals from diverse backgrounds and mm. different origins. And that community has a stronger 
economical contribution. You have manufacturers and a lot of businesses around there for individuals from different diverse backgrounds. And I was in the chamber among the people who were championing or pioneering mm. that chamber of individuals from that diverse background. So I worked with the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce up north. Then I moved down to the southwest to Plymouth. You missed out. Didn't you spot a business opportunity when you were watching cleaners or something? Is that right? When I was studying, <laughs> that was the fun part, where how I ended up going mm. into businesses. Although I had it in my family before, my dad was a business owner who was in transport. And then when I was in England, in London, where I went to go back in education, where I was doing that, I was subsidizing my income by doing an evening shift. So I'll go to uni in the morning, daytime, and then by evening I run, go and do my cleaning shift. I was working for a large organization, so I was employed by them to do evening cleaning. And this time I was in Canary Worth, mm-hmm. the heart of the economy. Yeah. And most people don't understand how that heart of economy works. Individuals are out there smart with their suits, but they're out networking, looking for customers or mm. pitching for their product, whatever it is, and they only do their paperwork or following up with emails and all that when they come back to the office. And again, don't forget those years, we did not have smart tablets. Mm. I'm talking about something like 12 years ago, mm-hmm. 13 years ago, we had Blackberries. That's when they... <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. That's Black- ancient, isn't it? Blackberry. Blackberries were the high end. Oh. You can only find them in Canary Wharf. At yeah. that time, I had a Nokia. <laughs> 6510 with the snake game. Yes. <laughs> so they come back to the office to do their paperwork after they finish the networking day time. So they normally come back in office around six-ish. Mm-hmm. And that's the time they get even a time to have a sandwich or mm-hmm. to eat something because all day they've been on that run mm-hmm. to generate income. So my cleaning rotor was designed by the company I was working for. I don't think they're still in the trade by then, but I don't know. The way they designed the rotor was I come in, I empty the beans, then I do the kitchens and the bathrooms, and then I come and pass the hoover to finish up and then replace the bean bags all. Mm-hmm. So I was following that rotor. I'll come and empty the beans when I arrive. But these guys have just arrived in uh, work as well yeah. because <laughs> they've been out all day. And then by the time I've gone around to do the bathrooms and the kitchen, they're just finishing their sandwiches and they put the leftovers in the bin. Which stay there overnight. It stays overnight and yeah. it will stay over day because I don't come in the morning. I work in the evening. Mm. So the whole day, it will build up the smell. By the time it comes the afternoon, those who are in the office, they start saying, the cleaner haven't been because the beans are full. Mm. And they complained to my boss saying, the cleaner is not doing his job. And I said to him, I'm doing my job. The thing is, is the the system you've put in place or your program, the way you designed it, can we swap this mm. so that I can start doing something else and finishing by emptying the bin at the end when these guys are finished their shift or latest? And you know the answer they gave to me? You're not paid for thinking. That's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> well, you're not a robot, are you? <laughs> I mean, you employ people because they can think. You don't employ them because it's not their place to think. And that's how it made me thinking. I'm like, mm, okay. One, I don't want to be employed by you anymore anyway. But I stayed there because I needed the money, just continue doing what they're doing, and then I will do the job the other way around without reporting to the boss, but I keep the customer happy. Mm. And when I moved to Sheffield, I was like, well, I can do this on my own. I don't need to be employed by someone. So I started a small cleaning company where I was doing the same. I'll go to uni, and then I'll go back and do the shifts mm. myself and do the way customer want it. Mm. And it became popular. And I was employing something about 60 people. Sometimes we were having more than about three figures of uh, employees, especially student time uh, changes. Brilliant. That's how I ended up in that. And when I moved down the southwest here, yeah. I come from north and I was like uh, working on the street and I look, where are these individuals from diverse community who are strong economically here in Plymouth? Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any. Right. I was like, wow, this needs to change. Yeah. We need to do something about it. How right. can we inspire the next generation, if the current generation of individuals from diverse background are not obvious within the city with that economical demonstration, how can we build that? Mm. So that you still have that same type of narrative maybe in the Southwest where if they see an individual from diverse background, I might say an individual from black community in a big Range Rover, they might start thinking is either a footballer or a drug dealer. Right. You don't have to be those two. No, <laughs> to be successful. <laughs> yeah. If you'd like to feature on a future episode of In Conversation With, send an email to info at freshairstudios.com. Do you know, I admit, Jabba, we all have our inbuilt prejudices. I can remember going to a Plymouth Raiders basketball game, mm-hmm. and I went to the loo. And as I came out of the loo, this huge guy came yeah. in. Of course, they're huge. And all my prejudices rushed to the front of my brain. Yeah. And I thought, this is massive black yeah. guy. Yeah. You know? And he looked at me and said, evening, sir, and opened the door. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he's one of the players. Yes. You know? And I thought, why did I suddenly feel a bit scared and intimidated yeah. just because he's tall? You know, I'm yeah. a six foot three ex-policeman. I'm not scared of anything, you know. So I think it's good that we challenge that prejudice and we say just because someone is of a certain colour and driving a Range Rover doesn't yeah. mean that yeah. they're bad. Yeah, you pigeonhole them. How do we get rid of that? How do we be more open and accepting and just go, okay, I'll judge you on what I see? I mean, I heard Joanna Lumley says everyone she meets, she decides they're going to be lovely mm-hmm. and then she works back from there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to love you. I think you're mm-hmm. going to be great. I'm mm-hmm. really interested in you and works back. And I think that's fabulous because I definitely don't do that, but I should. Yes. So how do we do that more? How do we get rid of those stereotypes and just be more inclusive? Well, the conversation like this one, yeah. they're very important. Two is going back to the drawing board where all of us, we are human. Mm-hmm. So again, where I come from, we have this philosophy and it's used in most of the African countries. It's called Ubuntu. Ubuntu means humanity. And it says, I exist because you exist. So my existence depends on your existence. If you cease to exist, I'm on high risk of ceasing to exist. So I value your existence. So when you meet another individual, they have to be that Mm. reverence or valuing their existence because they are very important for your Mm. existence. Mm. When you turn it around and you think, oh, the other person exists because I exist, it does not work. And that's sometimes the society feels that way. A person is living in England because I'm the one who gave him that safety place. You, know, you get the language, they come to get our jobs and all that. Oh. Because you feel these twists have happened where the other individual feels you exist because of them. Mm. And what they see on the media when you know the boats coming in or what happened at Calais and mm. Dover. And suddenly in mindset, it changes. Mm. They feel like everyone from that diverse community, they exist because me as an English person, I exist. It changes the norm. So we need to go back to that, knowing the humanity. Mm. The simple example of, uh, you give of Joanna Lumley, it's beautiful because mm. you recognize yourself first of all. Mm. Am I a grumpy or am I a happy person? Am I trusty with I'm definitely being? grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> My team will tell you I'm grumpy. I don't want to be, but I am. The core value of me, mm. who am I, is very important. And then you put it out as well because that's what you want from others. Mm. And it's by the best of all is that outside. So for us to be able to change this situation is the exposing this type of mm. conversation and giving everyone a chance to speak and say, oh, what is it like? Mm. And curiosity is very important. Mm. What has happened is with the society, especially the Western society, we come into this world where we tend to remove curiosity. And if there's no curiosity, diversity dies. When is the, this is what I do, this is what I know, and this is how it's done. The same way, you know, the, my former employer who say I'm not paid to think, and all I was asking to them is change a routine. the routine. Be more but effective, it, yeah. more efficient, make more money. Oh, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> because he's a director and I'm a cleaner. And I said, like, no, that's not how we do things here. There's mm. no curiosity. But if there's a curiosity, then you become exposed to diversity. And that sense, every human has that. Yeah. But we seem to have put a tape on it and stick on the... This is what we do. I like that. I'm going to genuinely try and be more curious about people. Because when I've got time to, like when I sit talking to you, I could talk to you for hours. I love this. This is great. (laughs) But in our rush of the day, you don't have time to be curious, do you? And you must have used that expression. Was it Ubuntu? Yes, Ubuntu, yeah. Yeah. So in, I think it's Hinduism and yoga, the namaste thing, it can mean anything from peace to a number of things. But one definition of it I understood was the divine spirit in me recognizes the divine spirit in you. That's right. And I really love that. It's kind of saying, yeah, you're another human being and I recognize that. And that's yes. a good start, isn't it? Yes. We're actually both human. We are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a start. We're in a global village, aren't we? Yeah, we are in a global village. I did that um, a, a banger rally years ago and drove down from France, Spain, Morocco, Mauritania, Western Sahara, down mm-hmm. to Senegal and into the Gambia. And you suddenly realize these are my neighbors. We're very bad at recognizing they're our neighbors. It's that human value. And oh, again, curiosity coming back in there is the same when you have that same child over here and you sit down and listen what's their journey. Yeah. It reminds you how, as a human being, we are vulnerable. We are very fragile. Yet, you get an element where I say one is, how do they call it? Yeah, I think it's vulnerable. Mm. Or it goes down, you find someone who has maybe a small challenge physically become a disability, right? And that defines the whole humanity in that person mm. because you're seeing them because they're just in a wheelchair. Mm. And suddenly you belittle them, you take away all the other factor which makes a human being. You focus on that because they don't have maybe a leg or arm. 
and then you say to them they have, I forgot the term they tend to use or vulnerable something like disabled. that disabled yeah it's, it's, it's part of this but the disabled it covers the whole thing mm. but there's an even another one they say they're vulnerable something like that mm. it goes long way someone just because they're refugee they're not vulnerable mm. it's that vulnerability you've taken away the humanity mm. and then you just start seeing them small it changes the whole thing once you look at them saying this is a person who despite being in a wheelchair or despite not being able to see they still having their heart to give they still mm. you know if they heard someone is drowning they will be extending their hand mm. <laughs> if they see a child cry, they will do that but you tend to look at the external the simple one and it's the mm. same with the color of skin Mm. Oh, because they are black, this is what they are. So you've taken the whole humanity value, you put it just in the box of colour. And do you still, I say still, do you experience racism every day? It's there. Mm. It's well, the example I was giving you with the Range Rover. Like, mm. A friend of mine has a Range Rover and then we turn up to the garage where I took my car for repair. So I, he gave me a lift back to where I took my car for repair mm. and we pulled in front of the mechanic and he was like, gosh, oh, it's you. I thought it was these two drug dealers when he realised... It was me. After the recognizing, it was me. But what he saw first was these two black guys in a Range Rover right. coming close to him. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I hope it's improving. I hope we're getting better. It and you're is. doing your bit to do that, aren't you? I know you've got the BAME Business Excellence Awards in January at yes. the Crown Plaza, which I'm going to go to, which is hey. great. I'm looking forward to that. And somebody asked me, they said that BAME is not a good term anymore. Where yes. do you stand on that? I agree with them. Because that generalizing or putting everyone in the same, because diversity is, is diversity, is big. Mm. Diversity is, is beautiful. And then when you just put it in those acronyms, you tend to put everyone in one box. Mm. I understand in that angle. But at the moment, or currently for me, right, in taking to it is we have more hurdles to cross mm. compared to just an acronym. Mm. There are more hurdles. It's needed, yes. Yet there are others as well, which are more important to focus on. Because that can be a distraction. And you go in that conversation, why well, should we call me this? And you call me like, that's not what I'm looking for. How are you treating me is more important. And I'll give an example of Maya Angelou. She's one of the great poets yeah. of all the time. I know why the caged bird sings. That's yes, Maya Angelou, that's Maya it? Angelou. Fabulous book. Yeah. Yes. And in there, she says, it's not what you do or what you give to a person which makes them remembering you. It's how you make them feel. feel. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now, one of my favourite quotes is Soren Kierkegaard said, uh, yes. to label me is to negate me. Yes. So if I just look at you, oh, you're just a black man. You're like, <laughs> no. I was once introduced to someone as just a policeman. Yeah. But this is Stuart, he's just a policeman. I thought, well, I'm, I'm a lot of things. I'm, I'm a very complicated human yes. being. Yeah. You know, I have emotions. And then it's all of us. Yeah. Every human being is complex. And yeah. every human being is diverse. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. So yeah. once you understand that, then you open up. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, we definitely need to be more curious. I'm just going to mention one or two more things before we wrap up. You've got to tell me about Jabalani. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think this is fantastic. I think this is the coolest thing I know, that I know somebody who's got their own coffee brand. Yes. Go on, tell us about Jabalani. So Jabalani is a coffee brand here in Plymouth. It started from myself and my wife idea. It's a coffee, but a coffee with a journey. So the climate over here in England does not allow coffee to grow. You cannot grow coffee, no. the climate. It's no favor to that. No. Yet, I've been living in England for so many years. So that's a bit of my climate here in England. Mm. But that climate have given the opportunity for those type of fruit growing in Africa called coffee. Mm -hmm. The biggest consumers of that fruit, it's people in England. Right. And then I'm here, and then there's a the coffee there. And what's the two connections? So we start a brand called Jabalani. Mm -hmm. Jabalani, which means be happy in Zulu, in mm -hmm. South African language. It means be happy. And they say, wow, well, why can't we create that brand which is just when you consume it, you are happy. It makes you feeling happy. It's got that fruits, um, citrus, a little bit of like champagne mm. taste on it. But it's how it's gone. It becomes a brand we work in partnership with Owens, yeah. Ivy Bridge, again, that local and global coming together. Yeah. You know, I live here. I did not make a choice to be born in Rwanda or you did not make a choice to be born mm. in England. It's something happened to everyone. Mm. And now you have a choice to move, sometimes mm. by circumstances, sometimes by conditions. But you have that movement choice now we are here we become the global village mm. how can we get the product which is global but also mm. village same time so that brand is called jabalani coffee it's an organic coffee mm -hmm. single origin mm -hmm. and fair traded for the coffee drinkers they'll understand what it means quickly straight away mm. but a lot of people don't understand what it is an organic coffee and again it goes back to the education the producer of the coffee or the farmer 
They might be greedy. Yes, I want to beg a lot of return on my growth. And what they do, they inject chemicals right. in the soil as terms of fertilizer to get your tree to give you more fruit. But on the long run, it's not sustainable because after a certain period, that chemical becomes toxic to the whole soil. Mm. And then by the time you go 10 or 12 production, the soil cannot do anything anymore because you didn't let it be. Yeah. But your children are suffering. So you need to move from that selfishness and start thinking of long term your generation. So we start pushing for organic from the farmers themselves to understand why it's important to keep your product organic and especially this tree of coffee. And it's passed on as well to the consumers because if you consume a coffee which is not organic, you're probably consuming the chemicals which made it growing faster or any other product. I'm not scaring people. No, no. <laughs> but it is organic and from Rwanda. It's organic from Rwanda, single origin from one farm I been working with to mm. share that knowledge but as well as fair traded where we're sharing the trade or the income mm. sell of it and the story of it mm. but we work as well with locally with owens busy and, and i think they're a member of the chamber as well they are uh, yeah. they supply us and funny enough we have switched to jabalani coffee hey, we got fantastic. it we got it it'd be wrong not <laughs> see that global and local is coming yeah. together so it's my journey part of that journey here and you can find our coffee in plymouth everywhere mm. and you can be part of that journey because tomorrow is going to be, what is it produced here in England? We can share that culture in Africa. And that's one world coming together. I love it. That is a good place to end. And I should say, it was always going to be that you're going to be a fabulous guest, because I understand you've got your own talk show. Yes. I'm part of what they call P-Town Radio, yeah. Plymouth Town Radio, P-Town Radio. It's a community-based radio. We talk more around topics and conversation, which are to do with the individual from the diverse communities, mm. but also the music which we play there is that background and all those awards and everything goes with it. And I run uh, the Friday business talk where we talk about financial literacy. Mm -hmm. I focus quite a lot on financial literacy and we've Which been really going cool. on for a while talking about budgeting, right. the rules of 50, 30, 20. Mm -hmm. If you look at your income, how do you budget it? Is it 50% going to the need and 30% going to the want and 20% going to savings? Mm. If you're not doing that, and then you're still in poverty. Mm. That's the conversation we have. Okay, well, <laughs> I shall listen out. Thank you. Look, it's been an absolute delight to speak to you. Thank you for giving up your time to come in. Thank you for helping the Chamber uh, try to be more diverse ourselves. We've still got a long way to go, but with your help, we'll get there, I'm sure. It's been a real delight. Thank you, Jabu Butera. Thank you. In Conversation With is produced by Fresh Air Studios. Full audio production services for podcasts, live links, and corporate communications. Visit freshairstudios.com. Presented by Stuart Elford. Produced and engineered by Paul Philpot. Edited and mixed by Martin Burgess Moon. Production support by Lisa Hartwell. Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved.